this morning, and and I'm I'm going to preach about 15 minutes, or try to preach. Then we're going to have the Lord's Supper after we have a hymn of invitation. And I've got five and a half pages of notes, so uh, this is going to be carried over tonight, okay? But I thought it's very fitting that we go back and look at the, um, the Lord's Supper and what was going on as Jesus took that supper with his disciples. If you would like to follow along in your Bible, it's going to be on the screen, but this that we're reading is going to be out of Mark chapter 14, verses 17 to 26. Let me pray and we'll read this passage of Scripture, okay? Father, we are grateful for the story of your Son. And Lord Jesus, I know that we cannot fully understand you until one day we see you face to face. But Father, give us a faith that will enable us to truly understand that you left heaven and became flesh and dwelt among us. Thank you for those years that you served others and that you taught and did miracles. And Lord, thank you for that day when you died on Calvary's cross. And thank you, Heavenly Father, that you raised your son from the dead. Thank you that you allowed him to stay with his disciples for 40 days And then you called him back home to the heavenly throne that he had left to come to this earth. And Father, I just pray that as we go through this coming week, as our attention focuses on the resurrection of your son, that you will teach us more about your son and about his death and resurrection. Lord, teach us as a church, teach us, Lord, as individuals. Prepare us even in these moments to take the Lord's Supper and remember that Jesus' body was broken for us and his blood was shed that we might have a new covenant with you. Be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was looking at the sermon title yesterday morning, I realized that I'd made a mistake. The climax of Jesus's And I should have inserted the word earthly ministry. Because let me tell you, Jesus' ministry is not over yet. And history is working toward the climax of Jesus coming back to call his church home and then be acclaimed King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So this is the climax of Jesus' earthly ministry, death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. But this morning, we're going to be reading Mark 14, verses 17 to 26. And Jesus here is getting ready to take what we call the Lord's Supper. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were at table eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and said to him, One after another, is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they, they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood 
of the new covenant. Some translations include the word new of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I shall not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drank it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, he went out to the Mount of Olives. This morning, I not only want to briefly prepare us to take the Lord's Supper, but to encourage us to prepare ourselves to celebrate the upcoming week. Now, I don't know if I don't know that in the past I've looked at the coming week as a time of celebration. But folks, you and I need to truly celebrate the cross of Christ in his resurrection. And folks, each one of the Gospels has its own, and I'm going to use the word passion narrative, which simply means the account of Jesus' death. Every one of the Gospels, and they not only tell that Jesus died, but they tell also that he rose from the dead. This morning, we will look at Jesus' death. After Easter, we will have a brief study on what happened after Jesus' resurrection, and we'll get to that later. I want to encourage you to write down the following chapters that detail and reveal the gospel writers' accounts of the suffering and death of Jesus. I want you to look on the overhead because I hope if you've got your bulletin, you'll write these, these eight chapters down, okay? And I want to leave this up for just a moment, Steve. In Matthew 26 and 27, Mark 14 and 15, Luke 22 and 23, and John 18 and 19, the gospel writers, from their own perspective, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, detail and reveal our Lord's suffering and death. And folks, these eight chapters, I want to encourage you and me and challenge us to read these eight chapters in the coming eight days. Now, folks, that's not hard. That's only one chapter a day. And I ask you to meditate on these chapters. Get your highlights out, your highlighters out, make notes. Notice the similarities and also notice some of the additional facts that each gospel writer puts in. And folks, more than anything else, read what Jesus did for you and me, for the whole world, and for every generation. Let me be personal for just a minute. It still overwhelms me that Jesus would leave heaven and die for me. That is the most astounding thing. And to me, it still seems unbelievable. I'm not questioning that the Lord did that, but does it not seem unbelievable that the King of kings and the Lord of lords would leave the throne in heaven and come and suffer the judgment of my sins? And folks, as I begin to, to look at the world about me, and, and again, I'm going to be personal. My grandchild is not any more special than yours, but I'm hoping and praying that I'll have the opportunity to tell Ella that Jesus loves her and that he died on the cross for her. We had that opportunity not only with our grandchildren, but with our children, our spouses, our brothers and sisters, our parents. Jesus died for the entire world. And so I hope that this coming week, you'll give God, and it shouldn't take too much time. I'm a slow reader myself, but it shouldn't take too much time to read these chapters. And again, I hope that you'll jot them down. If, if, if you're not having time right now, you just ask me after the service or ask Fran. She's got copies of this. 
but would you read the suffering and death of your Savior and of your Lord? And if you've not received Jesus yet as your personal Savior, would you listen as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John remember Jesus dying on the cross? Well, folks, this morning, I want to especially look at Mark. Mark has six emphases in his account of the suffering and death of Jesus that I want to mention to you, okay? And I want to give credit where credit's due. Raymond Brown, no relation. Raymond Brown was a professor of New Testament when I was in seminary, and he wrote a book on the Gospel of Mark that was used for the January Bible study back in the 80s, I guess. And he mentions these six emphases in Mark's gospel about the suffering and death of Jesus. And I hope you'll just listen to these very closely. First of all, Mark chapter 14 and 15 continue not only the history of Jesus' life, but also the good news of his death. And I never thought about it that way. Folks, it is good news that Jesus died on the cross for us. Now, folks, listen, Jesus' death was morally perhaps the worst act that's ever been committed on this earth because he was an innocent man, because he was the son of God, because he is our creator. And we crucified him and put him to death on a cross. But, folks, what God did through the death of Jesus was the greatest thing that has ever happened in history. And Jesus' life, Jesus' death is life for the world. Because he died, we live. Because he gave himself for us, we know that we have an eternity fellowshipping with God and being in his presence forever and ever. And that's something, again, to simply meditate upon A second emphasis in Mark 14 is that the story of Jesus' death is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And again, folks, I'm not trying to tell you that I'm an Old Testament scholar or genius because I am not. But folks, in the chapters that tell about Jesus' death, there are 12 quotations from Psalms. There are 12 quotations from Daniel. There are 12 quotations from other prophetic writings. The death of Jesus on a hillside outside Jerusalem was not a cosmic accident. It was divinely ordered and planned by God the Father that loved us so very much. I want to read to you out of Isaiah chapter 53 again, and pardon me for for getting seemingly emotional. But folks, when I think about Jesus dying for me and in my place, and when I think about God had all of this planned, listen to Isaiah 53, and I'm going to be reading verses 3 through 12. And again, you might want to jot this passage of Scripture down, just Isaiah 53. And listen, hundreds of years before Jesus came from heaven to earth, Isaiah wrote these words. And do these words not describe our Lord? Listen to this. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely, now listen to this. 
He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But listen to this. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that made us whole, and with his stripes we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And look at that last phrase. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let me stop right there for just a second. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. If not all of us, most of us have seen the movie, The Passion. And I'll be honest with you, I, I, it was hard for me to watch. I, I, in my older days, I cannot stand to see anybody harmed. I, I've gotten to where I can't watch a television program where somebody's being beaten or being killed or, or, or they're being harassed or harmed. And I'm telling you, it's hard for me to watch that movie, The Passion, as Jesus was literally beaten to death. But folks, Isaiah helps us to understand the suffering and death of Jesus was so horrific because all the judgment of every sin, of every person, of every generation was placed on him on the cross. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of how many? All. Jesus took the judgment for everyone's sin upon himself as he died on the cross. Isaiah goes on to say he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before his shares is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Listen to verse 10. Look at that first phrase. Yet it was the will of the Lord to bruise him. Folks, listen to this. Jesus' death on the cross was the will of the Lord. He has put him to grief. When he makes himself an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. He shall see the fruit of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. Set the last verse, Steve, on that. I, I've been lost my place. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Hundreds of years before the cross, Isaiah was given a vision of this suffering servant. The third thing that Mark emphasizes is the suffering Jesus was truly the Messiah. Folks, this again is outstanding. The suffering Jesus was truly the Messiah sent 
from God to deal with mankind's sins. As you read Mark chapter 15, and I want you to look at chapter 15, verse 39. This is on the overhead. As Jesus died on the cross, here's the response of the centurion. Listen to this. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that he thus breathed his last, he said, now here's a Roman soldier. No one knows how much or how little he has heard about Jesus of Nazareth. But as he has witnessed this man being brutally beaten to death and dying on the cross, he says, truly this man was the son of God. Folks, if we look at the cross of Jesus Christ and allow God's Spirit to touch us, we'll know that that cross was a place where the Son of God hung. And you don't need a theologian or a preacher to tell you that the Spirit of God will. And I believe it was the Spirit of God that allowed this centurion to know who this Jesus was. The fourth emphasis in Mark is that Jesus came to die for the entire world. It was not just for the Jewish people. It was not for the Roman Empire. It was for the whole world. Jesus' death satisfies the judgment that sin brings upon the whole world. And the fifth emphasis is that Jesus' cross showed his complete surrender to the will of God. We've already read that out of Isaiah 53. The cross was not the result of Roman or Jewish authorities turning against Jesus or against the soldiers capturing him. Jesus went to the cross because it was a will of God for him that he would die in our place. And the final emphasis, the story of Jesus' suffering and death is a story of our salvation. And folks, I want to tell you, we aren't celebrating this week that an innocent man died, but that the Son of God became the Lamb of God. And as I close my remarks, I want to remind you of what John says in John chapter 1, verse 29. You remember this account, the first time that John sees Jesus, and again, I believe, filled with the Holy Spirit. What does he say? The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In talking about Jesus being the Lamb, John was not just saying he's going to be meek and mild like a little lamb and he's going to be something that people will be tickled about to watch him prance around the pasture. That's not what he's talking about. The Jewish people knew that according to the Old Testament... For sin to be atoned for, a lamb had to be slain. One of the most beautiful things that, that the death of Jesus and the hour in which he was crucified, the lambs were being slain in the temple. The moments that Jesus was dying on the cross. Folks, that was not coincidental. God's got a time schedule for everything. And it was all happening according to the time schedule of God. And it was no accident that John would say, this is the Lamb of God, and he will take away the sin of the world. 
It might have been a couple of years after John made that statement that it became a reality, but it did. Folks, this morning as we partake again of the Lord's Supper, we're remembering that Jesus died. He died for us. He died for you and me. His body was broken. His blood was shed so that we could know the salvation of God. Do you know that salvation? One day, we're all going to have to stand before God. I'm not saying this to scare you or manipulate you. That's just the truth. That's what the Word of God says. We're going to stand before God. That day is appointed that we would stand before God. And we've either been washed in the blood of the Lamb, or we're going to stand in the presence of God and say, God, I hope I got a good, enough good works to take away my sin. I don't know exactly what God's going to say, but I imagine it's going to be something like this, depart from me, for I know you not. In the blood of Jesus Christ, as the writer of the book of Revelation says, our, our, our robes have been washed white in the blood, in the blood. Let us pray together. Father, we cannot thank you enough for sending your Son. But, Father, this morning as we take again the Lord's Supper, remind us of all that you have done for us. And, Lord, this week I pray that we will take time to read the Word of God and to read the account of how Jesus died for us. But thank you, Father, that after the cross, there's the resurrection. And I just pray, Father, that you'll help us this week to celebrate what you have done for us. Lord Jesus, may we give you all the honor and glory. And I pray even right now as we stand and sing a hymn of invitation that your will might be done. If you're leading people now to trust you as Savior or simply to come and give a new commitment to you, I pray, Lord, that under the leadership of your spirit they would do that. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.